it didn't just happen. We didn't just come home and he just went into his room and just started playing beautifully. And I made a beautiful breakfast and light shone over my head. Megan took (laughs) off her apron. And And birds flew down from the heavens. And got me dressed. (laughs) Carried your dress. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you both for immediately going right to that Disney moment with me. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and maybe even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of two with my Montessori training in Mo- <laughs> <laughs> with my Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, which covers ages six to twelve. I am here with Megan, mother of two, with her Montessori training in primary and lower elementary, so that covers ages three to nine. And Rachel, mother of two, with one on the way, with her Montessori training in infant toddler, which covers birth through three years old. Let's start by catching up. What have you guys been up to this week? I don't even know. I was trying to think what I've been up to. We've just been in our normal routine, really homeschool, playing outside. How's homeschool going? It's good. How are your materials? Amazing. Amazing. No, like literally we got that box and Finley was like, new work, new work. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's everything's almost on the shelf. My shelves are looking pretty good these days. My sandpaper letters came in, so. Are we going to get a tour soon? I know. I need to do a tour, but it's so like. When you're done throwing up. I don't know if that'll ever happen to me until I go into labor. (laughs) I'm just going to pray it can. It does. Yeah. I have not been on as much lately because I literally just run to the toilet, but it's okay. We're surviving. It, it really, it, we, we really are in a good place. I mean, we have a routine down and it's going really well and the weather's so nice now too. So we've been outside as much as we can be taking work outside too, which is really nice. So feeling good. We're going to the fair Friday and I'm really excited about that. It's the big state fair in our state and I used to go in college and like love it and then like I stopped loving it I don't know it's just like eh but my husband's gonna take the day off and we're gonna go like right at nine when they open and like do like a a good morning and then leave before it gets crazy with all the animals that come the benefit of the animals yeah and that's not including the it's not including the actual animals there (laughs) barnyard creatures that are actually there. The benefits of not being a classroom teacher, right? Because I also am like, ooh, I think this week we'll go to the fair during the day on a weekday and not deal with the just absolute chaos of parking and just walking your body to the fair and then being in this sea of people with small children. Like just so many, so many anxiety inducing moments there. But 
we did the fair for the first time with her last year with my oldest and yeah and it was so fun I can't wait to do it again this time with the baby strapped to me maybe not gonna be as fun but we'll see yeah I feel like we're good ages we will see Megan you should you should come up and yeah come on Megan. we'll take you to the the NC State Fair yeah I mean I'd already mentally <laughs> invited myself I don't know if you knew that I was like oh I'll come too <laughs> Like, great. What day are we going? Let's do this. Little thing about me is I am not afraid to invite myself. I'll just show up at your door. Which is good, which makes me feel better for absolutely inviting my entire family to your house a couple days ago when I was out in the area that Megan lives in and we were doing something else. It was so nice. And it was like, okay, so can we come over now? Like, can we just come over for several hours? Can my child nap there and the other one play with your kids while we have an adult conversation for more than two minutes? Yeah, it was so nice to see you guys and it was. to talk to Chris and get to see your little baby and our two daughters were like having a dress up party. I, I mean, I don't even honestly, I don't know what they were doing half the time. But every time I turn around, they were both wearing a completely different outfit. <laughs> Sometimes more than one outfit layered on top of the yeah. other. Yeah. yeah. But and it was a nice time because I am solo parenting for a few months. Mm. months months and we're like on week one so (laughs) just pray for me and it was just a huge because we were at disney world i mentioned that we were getting ready to go to disney world and we went to disney world and it was amazing just because it was just so much family time it was so much together time my parents and my brother and his fiance all have very demanding jobs and obviously i have two small children and have my own things going on and so we all rarely get time where it's just focused on family and it was so 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 nice and then all of a sudden I get home and I'm just like alone and it was sad (laughs) and so that's so hard yeah Laura and Chris came in and hung out with me and that was really nice yeah I always call that the like the visit hangover yeah or the vacation hangover when you either if you're hosting right and your house is like full or you go somewhere else but it Anytime that you're like super social all the time and then all of a sudden it just stops hard. It's, uh, I always mourn for a little while afterward. Yeah, I cried. I was packing and I was just crying because I just knew all of a sudden it was going to get, I was telling Chris, we were having a conversation about it and I was telling him that when you have so many hands, it's like, it was like six adults to two children. And when you have so many hands on, you realize how much easier it is and how you've been doing it all alone. And that's not like the natural way. Like you're supposed to be with your family and they're supposed to help. And it really takes a huge burden off to – because let me tell you, taking two toddlers who go – potty on the toilet oh my gosh so it was like just even having one person per hour to take each child (laughs) because they always had to go of course like we'd get to the front of a ride in the line have to go potty oh my god every time and so we just having someone to like take them or someone to hold their hand or hold them when they were tired or just those little things. And then you just realize, like I got home and I realized, oh my gosh, like this is hard to do by myself. But when you're in it all the time, maybe you just don't think about it as much. But so that was a major. I was just like packing up all of my clothes and packing up the kids' clothes and they were over in the other room with their aunt and uncle. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I do. I get it. I get it. And I think my Sharon's probably sort of similarly, on a similar note, invited myself. Hold on. There's a creaky door behind me. Oh, (laughs) There's a ghost. Just like a little bit spooky. 
spooky. There's no other explanation. It's a little bit spooky because Chris literally moments ago went through and like WD-40'd all the hinges on the door. So why is that door creaking right now? Poltergeist. Only reason. Only Only logical explanation. Thank you for understanding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What was I saying? Oh, I was sharing this with you when when we were there is that I officially... I'm slowly coming to terms with the fact that I have hit a wall. Like I haven't slept in, well, my, my baby's seven months old now, but you guys know the last like, couple months of pregnancy, you're up to go pee like every two hours. It's almost like your body's starting to get you ready for this like constant wake up all night thing. But I haven't slept in ages. Over a year, easily. Over a year. And I am officially at a point where I just am pouring and pouring and pouring from this empty cup. And, you know, as moms, as parents, you you keep finding ways to be there for your kids. Hopefully you find ways to show up. I feel like we are doing that. We had to sit down and, and come to terms with the fact that we're not showing up for ourselves and we're not showing up for each other. And, oh, I just, yeah, I just had like a big a big moment of how am I going to get out from under this? Because it's like, do you just wait and hope that at some point he's going to sleep peacefully? And maybe on the same night that he does that, my daughter will too, and I will sleep. And maybe that will happen more than once a month for a little while. Or do you just dig deeper and somehow find what you need to make all the the better choices, right? Because I I do know what I need to do. I need to nourish my body with like nutrient dense foods. I need to move intentionally. I need to get sunshine in my eyes and on my skin and fresh air for like more than a couple minutes a day, right? Like I, I know all the things I need to do to feel like me again, but getting up out of this abyss to do them is, it just seems in, insurmountable yeah. right now, right? Uh, so. I know you guys know how that is. I feel like you're at a really natural place to feel that. I felt that in the same place that you are because you have this kind of adrenaline going when you first have your new baby and you're kind of living off of this really, I mean, exciting and beautiful time. And you just, you know, you went through labor and it's like, you're just like, go, 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 go. And then I remember having the feeling around four or five, six months of being like, oh, but I have to do this forever? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I can do this for a couple months, but like I don't have – I can't do this forever. And then there's just this – I think your brain knows it's not going to last forever. You're – you know, you look – you can look at Rachel and I. We're still tired, but we're not as tired as you. Maybe (laughs) Rachel because she's pregnant. Yeah. But they do sleep longer eventually. And you you know that, but it's like – That's the thing is because this is round two. I think you feel altered as a person – like you are like, am I different? Do I just not have the motivation? Yeah, am I not able to take care of myself anymore? And I, I genuinely think and know from experience that like you, you are still you. You're just in a really hard place. Yeah. And it's interesting to realize too that like I, I already knew going in that every kid is different. We've talked about this. As teachers, mm-hmm. you get siblings from a family. You know before you even have your own kids, every kid is different. Do mm-hmm. not expect the same kid twice. I get that. And this has been. He has been a different infant than my daughter was. She was sleeping through the night pretty much by about five months. But if I think about it, probably because I knew I had to go back to school. So I was a little more aggressive with like weaning her off all those nighttime feedings as soon as I knew she didn't really need them. And with him, I didn't really do that because I don't have to go back to a physical place for my job. I work from home and I have the most flexible, amazing job and I love that. 
But also that does mean that I'm supposed to be working all day while he's next to me, you know, Mm -hmm. screaming his head off because he's trying to figure out how to crawl and he's mad that it's not working, you know, so like, (laughs) it's just a very different postpartum experience. And that's that was that's the new part for me is that every postpartum journey is different just as much as the kid is and every bit changes you a little bit. And, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, I'm still me, but I I am a, a new version of me that I have to get to know and I have to take better care of. And I just, yeah, I'm just kind of. That's where I'm living right now. I feel like I'm kind of coming out of the fog. So I'll just pull you along with me is that I feel like one day I just woke up and was like, I think I want a vegetable scramble. And I just made it like I had enough energy to make myself breakfast, which I hadn't felt in like two years. And it was just this kind of amazing moment of like, oh, I was just really tired. I'm not you know, lazy or I'm not able to, it's not that I'm not able to handle feeding myself. It's just that was really hard. And I did what I had to do to survive. And now I feel like it it comes again. Like I wake up and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go on a walk, which I didn't feel for a very, very long time. And I thought that I had just, I was just broken. (laughs) You know? Yeah, for real. I think that like your nursing situation was a lot like mine the second go round and you do feel like I loved it don't get me wrong at a point you kind of like I felt some like oh like why am I the one sitting here he gets another break and gets you know like and I I wanted like especially nearing that like seven eight month mark where you've already like done this for a really long time and I wasn't like she wasn't sleeping through the night she literally didn't sleep through the night till she was 13 months old feed like with nursing and that and that's on me too because I didn't do it like the first time she didn't need it it was just it was comforting to her it was easy and I was in a bad place in my life with work and so it was easier for me to just do that but it's hard being that person to like that only person for that long so you have to give yourself grace in that because I mean I've walked it and it's hard it's hard. So the first year. Yeah. yeah. The first year was really, really hard. Honestly, the second one's pretty hard. Too. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Honestly, the third and the three and a half to four is really hard, too. So. <laughs> So just like, podcasts when they're like six and then maybe we'll be okay till they turn 10. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Someday we'll listen back to these earlier seasons we and be like, tired. holy crap, yeah. how did we survive? Yeah. And I just feel like it eases up a little bit. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. As far as just the sleep, like I just got to sleep. Yeah. I mean, I think the deal is you yeah. kind of always trade one thing for another, right? So, yeah. but I feel like I would be happy to trade for almost anything if I were just well rested going into whatever that battle is, you know, like right. there's definitely and and to your point that our our society it's it's almost a badge of honor to do it by yourself, which no one feels like they've gotten much of a reward with that, but we have taken away this village system, this ability to sort of like pass your kid to the other 800 moms that are all working together mm-hmm. to raise all the kids together, you know, like it used to be a long, 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 long time ago, and man, that would just be that would be a game changer right now. I mean, but yeah, anyway, I am grateful for the tiny little village that I do have, which is how much you guys physically, locally. And then I feel like I have a lot of like virtual emotional support type people in my village, but nothing replaces somebody else going in at 2 a.m. to yeah. calm the baby, yeah. you know, but we'll get there. We will get there. Actually, we just started this week, the little 
the, you know, we all did the kind of the same like gentle sleep training type program. And we're doing that sit back where you sort of like delay them as much as possible before you offer a feeding to see if they really need it. And again, I know he doesn't. And some Chris has taken the last two nights of going in every time he wakes up screaming. And I already feel like I, like I took a shower a couple minutes ago. That's life changing. Right? Like, right. Just, just, just a little bit of sleep has already. It's like an extra hour gives you an extra. Yeah. So yeah, that's my rainbow and sunshines and glitter and sparkles Sharon for the week. And and that's why she can't <laughs> introduce herself in the yeah. episode because she hasn't slept in a year. <laughs> Who am I? What am I trained in? What day is it? Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get on to what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today? <laughs> Thanks for showing up, Mara. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> yeah, I'm here. That's the best that I can do. So today we are going to discuss building concentration and supporting concentration within the Montessori philosophy, which is really an easy topic to discuss as the development of concentration is already a major aspect of the philosophy. In Dr. Montessori's lecture in Rome on April 3rd in 1913, she proposed that unless we work with the nature of the young child, we would be trying to attract a fleeting attention with our teaching efforts. Instead, her approach was, quotation marks, awaken the attention in the child by presenting a material that meets his developmental needs and encourages spontaneous repetition as the child tries to figure it out. Dr. Montessori said, we can only be guided by facts. In the case of the small child, we find that no child can concentrate on one object for a long time unless the object itself spontaneously attracts the child's attention. She noticed through her teaching what objects the child would become fixed on, which was developing their concentration. When people are intensely interested in what they are doing and able to shut out external stimuli, we can say that they are fully concentrating. This is a lot of times what you observe in a Montessori classroom, like when you go in and there's this kind of sort of buzz. If you've observed Montessori classroom, you know exactly what I'm kind of referring to. You kind of see the children at their tables or at their work rugs or serving themselves snack or maybe cleaning up a spill. Like it's just this buzz going on and everybody's got their own work happening and then they all seem concentrated in what they're doing. So the philosophy supports concentration in three ways. So first, the prepared environment. It is a meaningfully structured learning space where everything has a purpose and a place. We have a whole episode on this. So if you are interested in wanting to know a lot more about the prepared environment, furniture is light and child-sized. Learning materials are designed to fit in the child's hand and everything is designed to be very open and accessible for them. The prepared environment activates a love of learning through curiosity, stability, and the freedom to choose. Materials are also another way to support concentration. So, and I spoke a little bit to that earlier about Dr. Montessori and her kind of teachings and her kind of creation of the special Montessori materials. So Maria developed materials that would not only attract the child's attention, but help them to build organization in their minds and learn about the real qualities of the world around them. Through exploring the different materials she created, the materials are made to be beautiful and attractive so that children want to touch, hold, and explore them. And the third kind of part of the philosophy that really supports concentration is removing obstacles. So removing those items from the environment that are going to be very like disruptive and distractive. So that was a lot of words, but I feel like that was really, you know, that's like a strong part of her philosophy and 
Yeah. So Rachel has laid out, she has the prepared environment, the materials, and removing obstacles. And we didn't add this, but I think that we should. One is the prepared adults. So let's say that's number four is the prepared adult. Because the way that the whole system works is that Maria Montessori actually used the word seduce, which has a different connotation in English, but she spoke Italian, right? And so kind of the the role of the adult is to... Yes, spark the attention, but connect the child and the environment with the materials. So that's kind of our role. And I just wanted to say that because we were working on the script and I forgot to I forgot to add it, but to look at it through that lens of we believe that children are capable of building concentration through their work with these materials, but we are one, the preparer of the environment to make sure that that happens and also the connector and like the the thing that's attracting them to these materials in this environment. So we have a really important role to play as well. Yeah. I love that. And it's not just about like shoving things in their faces that you looked up on Pinterest or Instagram that kids supposedly like right now. It's about paying attention to what that kid really. Right. It's yeah. knowing where they are developmentally, knowing where they are in that sequence, finding the right time to show it and showing it in a way that is, the word is seduced in a seductive way. That's not in a weird way that we think about it in English, but in a way that is is kind of capturing their attention to want to touch it based on what we know about their human tendencies and their sensitive periods, which we've talked about before. So in terms of building concentration and supporting concentration, you do have to really understand what's going on in that child's mind. Like Megan said, what are they sensitive to? What what do they need right now? So children zero to three are generally very attracted to materials that teach them something that has an immediately obvious lesson, almost like an instant gratification of a result. So for example, they have the little ball drop boxes or something, right? You have a little ball placed on top of a hole and you have to kind of hit it with a little mallet and it drops into the hole and makes a loud plunking sound. And they will do this over and over and over again. There's an immediate result to that little experiment. They have a tendency to resist activities that are too simple or too challenging for them. They're looking for a material that really engages them in just the right way. And that really is true of all ages, including adults, right? Like we we want to find that flow state, which is this perfect spot between being too challenged and being just straight up bored with the task at hand. So and this is another reason that classroom shelves are set up from left to right in the simple to complex order in that zero to three environment because they're in that sensitive period for order. So this is a great way to satisfy that need. They get to work through the lessons on the shelf, starting with something that felt pretty simple and working all the way up to something that feels pretty advanced or pretty challenging and finding that flow state along the way. As they get older, the pause before the gratification from the activity is lengthened more and more. So that's building the child's ability to concentrate for longer periods of time. They're able to really sit and see, well, what will happen? Maybe it's not going to happen right away, but you have my attention. You have my concentration. In the lower L environment, we every year would put do the little experiment where you put seeds in different locations. We put seeds in different locations around the classroom to see what seeds would grow, which ones would grow and thrive, depending on if they were getting sunlight, if they were getting, you know, one was in the freezer, one was in the window, one 
was under a table and just sort of this like long term experiment to see what would happen with these seeds. And I could have these six through nine year olds that were totally hooked and go check on it every day. A three year old is like, yeah, I forgot about that experiment moments after you have put it in the freezer or wherever you put it, right? So building up that ability to have like a longer amount of time between the thing you're doing and the result that it's going to yield is really important. And that's happening at those younger ages by giving them things where they can sort of immediately feel like they're properly in a flow state and they're learning the lesson sort of right away. Right. So something really, really important. And I've talked about how like I am super guilty of this. Supporting that development of concentration, it's really critical that we do not interrupt them when they are attempting to concentrate. We're not narrating what they're doing or making loud commentary about what they're doing when we see that they do look like they're in that flow state. Because when a child's concentration is broken, it's typically very difficult to get them to re-engage, especially in that zero to three or babies, for example. So in Montessori's environment, we support concentration by giving children certain freedoms that we have discussed in previous episodes. We will list those freedoms, but Megan made a really awesome note in this script, and I want to note that it's important that you don't confuse stillness with concentration, because just because they're sitting still doesn't necessarily mean they're super focused on something. It could be absolutely spacing out, which also has a time and place too that we need to respect. Sometimes they just need to space out. But concentration and engaging with an activity can look very different. It could involve a lot of movement. If we're talking infants, it's probably more that they're kind of still and like almost like in a trance staring at this thing that they have or trying to manipulate this thing that they have. In older kids, it could be way more physical and active, but you have to try not to interrupt that. If they're not actively asking for you to intervene, you don't need to. If they aren't asking for you to give them a different activity, you don't need to. Let them continue to go back to the one that's already out until they are able to explain to you that they don't want that anymore. So freedom of movement is huge. It's huge for the little ones and supporting their concentration. We have talked about how it helps with memory and retention, and there's all kinds of things crossing the midline. I mean, there's a lot of important reasons to let them move while they're developing this concept. Freedom of where to work within the space, right? If you've been in a Montessori classroom, they don't all have an assigned seat at a table. There aren't 20-something individual desks. You have the whole room to move around. There's a freedom of work and what work that they would like to choose within a safe framework, of course. Freedom to communicate in this really becomes obvious at those older those older ages and the elementary ages that communication is huge they want to collaborate they want to communicate they are learning from each other they're learning while they're doing that so even though you could walk into a room and hear that buzz and that hum and hear all these kids talking and thinking oh my god they're not getting anything done it's actually quite the opposite they're getting a lot done with that yeah i mean even for the little little ones if they're you know they're not so much collaborators at, at that age rachel will know but they might be singing to themselves they might be talking through something you know if they're working with the cylinders they might be saying this is the mommy and this is the baby and oh and she, I want to show this to my friend and so I, I have that about don't confuse stillness with concentration but also don't confuse silence with concentration sometimes children can be silent and they're concentrated but they also have the freedom to speak we know that they're in a sensitive period for communication we know that it's a human tendency some people I mean I especially I learn and work really well through talking 
talking out a problem. And so sometimes as teachers, we might want and think that a quiet classroom means that everyone's concentrated, but that's not actually the case, especially for young children. So I want to point that out. Yeah, great point. And then the last two on the list are freedom to work for as long or as short as they need to on something. So again, that's hard in a traditional setting when everybody's doing math for the next 45 minutes and then everybody's doing literature arts for the next 45 after that and everybody's doing the same thing at the same time for a certain amount of time. That can sometimes rob children of their ability to really develop that concentration because they might need more time with that concept or they might have mastered that concept pretty quickly. Maybe that was something that came easily to them and now it's time to move on to a different concept and asking them to sit there and stay with this thing because that's what we're all doing for this amount of time can be really tough. So that that's worth noting. Again, we understand people have to be in whatever you know setting you can get your kid into. Not everybody has an idealistic Montessori school and that's fine. But that might explain though, if you if you feel like your kid is dealing with certain behaviors or your teacher is telling, oh, they don't, they won't do this for this amount of time, whatever it is, it's worth understanding what's going on in their head and how their brain functions and how that concentration is developed to maybe be able to be a little empathetic with the fact that, well, of course he doesn't want to do this thing for another 40 minutes. He was done in the first five, you know, or, or of course he didn't want to put the scissors away at the end of that art project. He wasn't done. And that's hard. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about having that three hour work cycle is there's a lot of time of uninterrupted, (laughs) uninterrupted, (laughs) uninterrupted space and time to explore for as long as you'd like. Of course, with all of these freedoms we've talked about, there are limits and boundaries to all of those freedoms. You can't work to midnight on your painting. You know, you only have until (laughs) we pack up to go home or we pack up for lunch, whatever it is. But what was I going to say? It was really (laughs) profound and amazing. Undoubtedly. (laughs) Oh, oh, I know is that I'm going through, you know, my master's program right now. And there are other ways that other schools and tools that they use for things like that. So I think whenever we mention that this is how we do it in a Montessori environment, as Laura said, we know that this might not be the way that your child's school does it. There's probably an amazing way that they might be doing it. This is just yeah. how we do it. Yeah. So again, no panic. And and I think a lot of our listeners are yeah. applying this to home. So it's worth noting all of these things. You might see all these things at home between siblings or even if you have an only child and like Megan said they're having a whole dialogue with these two little things that they have you don't need to go over and and jump into that game you can just let them let them go right and again I'm really guilty of that so it's I want to interact I'm having fun listening and I want to add to it but sometimes I need to just let her do her own thing and then the last one on my list is the freedom to be idle because I think that we often have this pressure to make sure that they're engaged in something they're choosing something go choose a work choose a work choose a work and sometimes they just need a minute, right? They need a breather. There's something else going on for them internally. They're they're getting up the stamina to concentrate at a new thing again after having done something else already. So sometimes we just need to, to give that freedom as much as all of the other ones to really honor and respect that process. That happened in homeschool today. Like he was working, working, working over on something. And then like, he just like froze and kept looking at me. And I was like, I I didn't want to say anything because I could tell like he was in a trance of thought. But then like he came out and he was like, I hear the geese. And I was like, oh, I hear them too, actually. Do you want to go look for them? And then Mm. we like went to the window and they were all in our front yard, like 
12 geese. I'm so excited for that geese poop later. But, um, <laughs> but so we like rushed outside and we counted the geese and we're looking at the geese. But that was like a moment of like, okay, I was like, wait, he was working. Like what happened? And I almost interrupted that moment yeah. because I was looking and like, what is going on? Do you need me? Or like, is something, it, it looked like almost a worried face. Like his face like was like, like in shock or something. But then he put his hand to his ear and he was like, I hear the geese. Mm-hmm. And it was the sweetest moment. So it turned in. Yeah. I definitely. And then we wouldn't have gone outside and counted them and looked at them. And so that was a whole kind of, hey, I'm right there. Look at that. A real life experience. Right. You could have easily accidentally squished a real life lesson yeah. that was way more significant to him than matching cards with pictures of geese, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was awesome that you knew to give him that space and just like way to be. Wait a couple weeks before you really intervene. Yeah. If they're not physically in danger, it's okay to give them a minute. Yeah. That's one of my classroom pet peeves. And I know like if you do this or if, you know, if you're a Montessori teacher and you know that you do this or your assistant does this, whichever, is that I know that, you know, you you want yeah. them engaged and you want them, especially when someone walks in the room, you want everyone working for it to look so beautiful and perfect. But they do have the right and the freedom to be idle. And again, if there's no, there's a boundary there, if they can't be interrupting someone else or disturbing someone else's work or whatever it is, harming anything. But sometimes they just need to walk around. Maybe they're looking at the materials. Maybe they're thinking of something. Maybe they're kind of absorbing and really thinking through what they just did, you know, that kind of reflection time. So you just don't always know what's going on in their mind. So if you're a teacher, I would very much encourage you to let them do that versus the whole where's your work find your work you need to get work and because that also can kind of create a negative relationship with that work of that's annoying (laughs) like leave me alone lady (laughs) i've observed that before and been like can you leave them alone yeah yeah Yeah. i know but that that pressure is real as a teacher especially with an observer of any kind yeah oh yeah like an admin you're like get some work Better show them how this monetary classroom runs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, so that just be strong in your resolve. And if someone comes in your room, say my children have the right to be idle. I love it. I love it. Megan said so. Say it back yeah. off. I yeah. Here's a podcast for you. <laughs> Um, All right. So pretty much everything that I listed was really focusing on how we set up a Montessori environment in a classroom and what we're trying to keep in mind, freedom and, you know, limitations wise. So Megan, tell us more about the home front, since again, we do have a lot of listeners who don't have kids in a Montessori classroom. They're not running a Montessori classroom. They're wanting to apply this philosophy to the home. I mean, if you have your children in a Montessori classroom, this is also an amazing way to just support what they're already doing. So for anyone, or even if you're you are struggling with concentration on your own. I struggle with concentration sometimes as I work from home and I get distracted. (laughs) I think these work for a lot of people. So one is to be present and mindful, put your phone down, sit on the floor with them or in a chair, wherever you want to observe and give your undivided attention while you're observing. We've talked about observation before and really seeing what they're interested in, what's working, what's not. I personally have, since we did our last episode on screen time, have really been concentrating and focusing on on limiting that in a really near we're near no time at all but we're not quite there yet and so something that I had done was I had gotten a bunch of bins and put different items in the bins and then when I was like cooking dinner or something that I would normally be like oh my gosh I just need 10 minutes for them to watch something and a lot of that what went in the bin came from my observations of what I know they're interested in and will concentrate on longer like we have some stickers we have some 
crayons. My daughter loves art supplies. We have lots of art. And she sat for like 30 minutes and colored. And a lot of that came from the observations I've done previously. You can use a shelf or any kind of prepared environment. Rachel has here with younger babies and toddlers, three to four materials, maybe 10 materials for a four-year-old as they get older. Again, this is going to really depend on your child's and your observations of them. A lot of times we put out too much and it's hard to choose. And if you have ever walked into a room that has stuff all over the table or stuff all over the counters. This happens to me all the time. If my kitchen is dirty and everything's on the counter, I'll clean. I won't cook. Because it's like an extra obstacle. And so we really want to have a prepared environment that is inviting to work in. And so we also have here to have a defined workspace. Again, that's orderly, that's clean, that's tidy, and that's inviting. What do we have next? Providing as many practical life activities as possible. And we've talked about children being active in participating in household chores and things like that. But practical life truly is the key to building concentration in young children, not just engaging in those household chores, but prepared practical life activities that allow for repetition and refinement of movement. And we aim for the body and the mind to begin to work in harmony. And that's what Maria Montessori called normalization when body and mind work together. So pouring, spooning, dressing frames, things that have repetition built in and that they're really refining a movement and focusing on that one movement. Avoid interrupting Laura gave us a lot of reasons not to do that. And this can come in a lot of forms, not just talking to them or engaging with them. This can come in walking by when they're drawing and saying, good job. And it might seem harmless, but that's enough to break their concentration. Getting out your phone to take a video. I am so guilty of this. They'll be doing something and I'm like, oh, how cute. And I'll get out my phone. And as soon as I open it to take a video, they're like looking at me and and they want to see what picture I took. And I just completely ruined their concentration. Less is more. The more difficult it is for a child to find concentration, the simpler and quieter the environment should be as not to distract or overstimulate them. The order of the space should be clear and consistent. Everything should have a place and it should feel really calm and relaxing. And I know this is easier said than done, but know that during those really chaotic times, it's harder to concentrate. And I would say no forced sharing or timers. If you have children that are, if you have siblings or something that we sometimes want to do is make it fair, right? If my if my son has a truck, I might say, okay, you can have it for five minutes and then your sister gets it for five minutes. And this really isn't going to support their concentration, knowing that in five minutes I'm going to have to give it up or they're not even going to want to bother with it. So something that we do and a lot of words that all three of us use very often is that's not available. Let me help you find something else or would you like to choose something else? Because we really want to give them the time and space to that's their work and we're going to protect that and we're going to give them as much time as they need again within boundaries. So they, you know, we're not going to not go to bed because they want to keep playing like there are limits of course but we want to give them as much time and space that they need to really foster that concentration do you guys have anything to add of things that you do in your homes to 
build up concentration. Thank you, Dita. I mean, a great job at covering those main points of what we're all, I think, striving to do, right? Of course, not every day is perfect. Not every day am I maybe supporting as I should, as maybe another day we had a really great day and they had some really great work periods. So I think it depends, you know, where you are in life too and how old your children are. And I think, though, speaking, your setup really matters. If you don't have the setup, then it makes like your life a hundred times harder. At least I feel like, like if you have that set up, you have, they have the access to the things they need to their like toy area to, to their work area and everything has a place. It just makes life easier. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes our playroom may still be a mess, but everything has a place. And like my oldest knows that. So literally it's cleaned up like within an instant. Cause he knows like this work goes there, this work goes there. And it just makes life easier. And then he's not stress cleaning up because you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, like where do I put all this? But there's not that much stuff because that's just, I choose to minimize and everything has a place. So I think that takes the stress. Yeah. We've, we've talked about how if you're overwhelmed looking at it, then they're overwhelmed, right? If you don't want to get in there and deal with it, they certainly don't. And I think your point about having that prepared environment before you even try to test all these other theories is so huge because independence is a cornerstone of building up that concentration. We're saying that they have to find that independently and they have to, you know, sit with that independently and and that we need to take a step back as the adult, as the guide, as the parent, as the whatever you are to them. And that's not possible if you don't have an environment that they're able to safely do that in. And we're talking about even with infants, right? So my seven month old, I bring him to the little play mat and the little infant shelf that I have set up. I know that the things that are on it, he can get to them. It's a struggle because like I said, he's trying to crawl, but it's actually also motivating him to crawl because he wants to get to them. He can choose what he wants to play with. I don't sit there shaking things in his face like, look at this, look at this. You want this, you want this. That's so disrespectful. We don't know that a lot of times as adults. You see that, that's how you play with a baby. So that's what you think that you're supposed to do. And if you have that prepared environment and you've done some observing what they're into, he's teething right now. So a lot of the stuff that's on that shelf is really safe for him to just chomp and chew and gnaw on. And he's so happy to be able to do that. With my three-year-old, we have a prepared environment downstairs in her bedroom. It's a prepared environment that's safe for her. And so for her, she very much wants that constant interaction with an adult. So it's been really huge for us to have on the days where she's home and not at school all day that she takes a quiet time where she goes and she has the option to nap. She's probably not going to opt to nap, but she can go sit in her room for upwards of like two, two and a half hours and just play independently with the things that she has in there. And I hear her. I see her as little, you know, I've got the monitor going. I can tell that she's safe, but I'll just listen to her and watch her. And it's amazing to see her happily play all by herself, very concentrated on what she's doing for however long she's into it. And then she knows she can move on to the next thing. And it's just so cool to see that level of concentration in something so small, which has come from a lot of work on my end as the adult, again, preparing the environment and sort of scaffolding it up to the point when she was a year and a half, I couldn't have sent her to her room and been like, hey, have fun for two hours, you know, but like, as a three year old, I can do that. And that's still impressively young if yeah. you think about it I think a lot of people are like what do I do with this three-year-old like she they're stuck to me all day and she would happily be stuck to me all day she loves the interaction from an adult she's a very good conversationalist and I love the interaction with her but it's important for both of us that we have that time where like you're gonna go do your
our work. I'm going to do my work and we're not going to mess with each other right now. We're just going to respect that we have our own things to do. So I mentioned how practical life is a key for concentration. And that's true in the in a Montessori classroom. I would say that, so Rachel's doing that, right? She's got that in, in her home. If you're not homeschooling, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I get it. What I would say to you is to have as many open-ended activities as is appropriate for your child. Like we have in our in our play area for my son, a train set, like a bunch of the little tracks that hook together and his trains. That is it. And you know, we have some books and stuff, but the amount of time he will spend with that open-ended, he can make it right now. There's a train snaking all the way down our hallway. And the time that he will engage in that (laughs) is incredible. So those open-ended things, you know, Legos or magnetiles or Art. I was just going to say magnetiles. <laughs> we have a basket of magnetiles and a little tea set in her room. And that is she between those two things, right? Two to three hours up there. Like, I know the farm too. We have a farm. And I mean, he could yeah. set that up in a million different ways with the animals. And it's like an hour and a half goes by. Yeah. And he, yeah, I mean, just. Yeah. So that's kind of how we rotate our playroom is we have one really epic open ended thing at a time. So if when I'm done, when we're done with the trains, I'll probably take those out. Maybe we'll just have a bunch of buckets of magnetiles and that's what's available and it really is effective honestly especially for that quiet time or the time that we're just hanging out at home they make some really amazing things and when they have the time and space to do it yeah I love it and again not to brag that like oh we're doing everything right because of course there are days where I'm like it's quiet time and she's like absolutely not I am I am putting my foot <laughs> down there is no more quiet time in this house ever again but for the most part for the more right. more often than not it does go yeah. nicely and that is yeah, in the wild, the animals are very unpredictable. Right. But I will say too that sometimes you just have to give them some time. So like today, my son was home with me. It was just the two of us. And he followed me around for like an hour. And he was like, mama, mama, I love it. He wanted this. He wanted that. He really wanted some attention, which was fine. But I was also like making breakfast and I was trying to clean up the kitchen and all that stuff. And after about an hour, he kind of started sneaking away. And I noticed this with our daughters. We were talking about this. Laura is like, it usually takes them about an hour half hour to an hour to even start playing together. <laughs> Every time we see each other, they're like, I don't know you, complete stranger. And then like on the dot at about a half an hour, they're like, are you my best friend? I think you are. Are we about to do everything together for the rest of our lives? Yes. yes. So I would say also like give them some time to be a little bit bored. It's kind of annoying. Like you're going to be like, this isn't working. This child is broken. Yeah. I'm broken. Our home is broken. Everything is broken. Sometimes it takes a while for them to get bored enough. <laughs> be like, you know what? I think I'm going to make a train that goes. So it took about an hour before he decided to make that train that went all the way down the hall. So it didn't just happen. We didn't yeah. just come home and he just went into his room and just started playing beautifully. And I made a beautiful breakfast and light shone over my head. Megan took off her apron and, <laughs> and birds flew down from the heavens and got and me dressed. <laughs> carried your dress. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you both for meeting going right to that Disney moment with me. Yeah, that's a great point that it does. There is a scaffolding. It takes time to build that up. The first time that I introduced quiet time to that three-year-old, I did, it was not two and a half hours, right? Like you, you build up that stamina. And a lot of times it's more just because I have the monitor, I'm, I'm watching her. I can see, is she still engaged or is she about to unravel? Right. So like it it is, you gotta be flexible Mm -hmm. with it. 
kind of depends on the day and where your kid is at that day. And there is a lot of preparation of the parent there to deal with like your own anxieties and the fact that like, why does that go right up the back of your spine when they're following you around going, mama, 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 right? Like holding onto my leg, telling people to give them an hour to settle into something that for a lot of people is a freaking eternity that is mm-hmm. miserable and i am absolutely gonna plug you into something before we it's hit the, the hour mark minutes. because yeah. i can't take it anymore and i so get that but what we're trying to do is encourage you per the philosophy to see that it there is another way there is something on the other end and it just takes a lot to get there for yeah. you more than for them like they they will get there naturally it's helpful to know that you're working towards yeah. something yeah definitely yeah you know? It takes a lot of time. Well, Laura's baby's going to wake up any minute. Any second now. So let's – why don't you start, Laura? Okay. Confession. I have a very simple confession for this week, and it was inspired by the fact that at my daughter's school, they recently celebrated Garden Day, which as a teacher was one of my least favorite days of the school year. (laughs) That is the worst. Literally the worst day. All I did was count yeah. all day. Oh, man. As a teacher. So your doors are open. You've got everybody's parents. Well, not everybody's parents. So you've got some kids. Where's my mom? Anyway, I'm going to skip over complaining about Garden Day itself to focus on the fact that there is a word in the English language that drives me up a wall. I am irrationally angry about it, and it is wheelbarrow. Oh. Wheelbarrow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like – into my 20s before I realized that it was wheelbarrow, by the way, and not wheelbarrow. <laughs> I don't know why it's not wheelbarrow. That makes more sense. I did finally have to look it up to see like, well, what the hell is a barrow that we have a wheelbarrow? <laughs> turns out, turns out, ready yeah, for this fun fact. I'm really excited. It is a, <laughs> it is a large mound of dirt. I believe specifically in reference to like digging a grave type deal. Oh. So the wheelbarrow carries away the large mound of dirt After that you've removed buried. from the okay. earth to, for yeah. bodies. Yeah. So now I'm kind of cool with the word now that I've looked that Spooky up. Spooky season is <laughs> <laughs> Corpses and zombies in your garden. Yeah. So if you are wanting to to decorate for Halloween. You just put out Just put a bunch of wheelbarrows. 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 I think that's what <laughs> makes me upset is how intentionally I have to pronounce it to make sure that I'm not saying it wrong. Yeah. So that's I just wanted to rant about wheelbarrow for a minute there and that's all I got this week. <laughs> Nothing about my body parts. Oh. You're welcome. Oh man. I'm sure Rachel will have one for us. Uh, <laughs> Mine's actually really simple too. So sorry guys. Okay. Let you down with bodily fluids. Let's hear it. This morning. I, I try to eat like a lot of protein for breakfast just because I found that helps with my nausea. Yeah. But like I woke up this morning and I just really wanted Rice Krispie cereal. I don't yeah. ever eat cereal. Like literally I'm not a cereal person at all. Snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> Snap, crackle, pop. So I had a box in there because I've previously made Rice Krispie treats. Because I was craving Rice Krispie treats. But so I was like, oh, just eat a bowl of cereal. And I like opened the fridge and we have Fairlife chocolate milk. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put chocolate milk in these Rice Krispies. <laughs> yeah, <gasps> yeah, girl. And How it was, was delicious. It? I ate the whole bowl. <laughs> and Garrett came downstairs and was like, are you eating chocolate milk right yeah, now in your cereal? And I was like, yeah. But it has 12 yep. grams of protein, so don't even come at me. There you like, go. It's paralyzed. I'm a divine, healthy <laughs> goddess, Garrett. I'm like, don't even. Like, 
<laughs> mind your own business. All right. Well, I have my next breakfast fixation. It was I'm delicious. Very and I'll probably eat it this. until we run out of chocolate milk now. So. <laughs> I love it. I want to see people tagging us in their in their <laughs> Rachel breakfast concoction. <laughs> start a trend. Well, my confession comes from actually I didn't have one. And then Rachel said something that just took me way back. She's talking about the fair. Mm. And something that you guys might not know about me is that I used to raise pigs in 4-H. How did we not know this? Like that's a big deal. I feel betrayed right now that this I is know. the first time I'm hearing <laughs> that you raised pigs. I did. And the funniest thing about it is that I was thinking about like how you do that. And you guys don't even know how <laughs> weird it is. Okay. Any of my fellow like 4-Hers or what is what are the other ones like? Um, Feature Farmer of America. What is, the ones with the blue jackets. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. FF. FFA, FFH, is that you have to like, you like raise these pigs and you, you know, you take care of them and stuff and you take them to the fair. And do you know how you sell your pig? How? You have to show them. Like a dog show type yeah. deal? Yeah, I've, I've actually watched, I've watched. In this like showmanship uh, ring. <laughs> Are you jumping like little barriers <laughs> yeah. with the little pigs? And- no, it is so weird. It is so awkward and people are so into it and they get so <laughs> so intense about it and so like you spend a lot of months teaching them like how to walk and you either use a cane or they have these kind of like leather whips that you like have on the side of their face so they know when to turn and so that you get them into a like a big ring and there's a like the person that you're that's watching and this person walks around the ring and everyone follows them and the rule is like and this you have like showmanship classes is that you have to stare at them and not ever break (laughs) eye contact <laughs> and then you walk with your pig and oh you turn God. them. I can't believe you did this though, Megan. I've like, I mean, I grew up going to like county fairs watching yeah. people do this stuff. It's so weird. I thought it was so cool. Can you imagine Megan not like just, just dead on, just locked in? I can't. No breaking eye contact. And you just like, you turn, you have to turn your pig over and over so they can see both sides of your pig. So <laughs> you're just, sides and of your one pig. of the things that they tell you to do. <laughs> All sides. You need a 360 view of that sucker. <laughs> right. And so what they tell you to do also, which I couldn't bring myself to do because I, I do want to be the cool kid and I did not think that this was cool, but you're supposed to kind of hunch over <laughs> and then you get, you you lock eyes with them and you follow them and you just turn your pig oh my like, God. over and over and over until you're dismissed. Okay. <laughs> no. You best bet Friday, I'm going to take a thousand videos of the pigs. And hopefully I get a viewing of the picture. We're bringing (laughs) Megan. We're bringing Megan and she's going to jump in there and she's going to show us some pigs the proper way. And I will show you. To be clear, we are not making fun of anybody who is into this. This is your life. That's awesome. I love that. It's specifically picturing Megan. 
not breaking. Like this is the same little girl who would climb, who would crawl into parents' bedrooms to steal their landline phone and call mom to come get her from sleepovers. Now has to lock eyes with a stranger and put on a pig show. Like your anxiety must have just been. I hated it. I hated it so much. Some people were really good at it. And I think that we can all agree in the pig community. We can all agree. It's a little silly. I think I speak for all of us in the pig community when I said <laughs> that it's a little silly okay but it's like this thing it's this tradition you do it whatever it's fine some people get more into it than others and it is quite entertaining more to watch the people mm. than to watch the pigs may I ask how many years did you do this I only did it I think I did it through middle school because you weren't allowed to have a pig until you were like 11 or 12 something <laughs> like that okay <laughs> just gets better the rules just get better and better as you go okay you weren't allowed to have a pig you had to work your way up to pig so yeah you well you could do like a lamb you could do a pig you could do a a cow or you could do bunnies so young younger children can do rabbits um but i really want a pig (laughs) so i waited until it was pig time Oh my god! Oh, I love that. Someone's gonna like. Someone's gonna email me and be like, "You, how dare you? How dare you? This is a, this is a tradition, a cherished tradition. Yeah. How dare you laugh at us? I'm telling you, it's funny. (laughs) I feel like being controversial today. Of all the things that's going to get us canceled, Megan, I really hope it's this. I really hope it's your pig showing days and me laughing openly in your face about it. That shuts us down. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll show you. Oh, sometime. God. I'll lock eyes with you and hunch Please. my back over and I'll follow you around. <laughs> well, that's one hour and three minutes. So we're yeah. amazing. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. That's it. That's how Bravo. Megan's wrapping Bravo. this week. Thank you. <laughs> that face just got so serious. <laughs> I looked at you like I was going to yeah. kill you. I imagine that's the same face <laughs> that you brought to your pig showings. Yeah. 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 I was like, you pick my pig or else. Okay. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. Whoop, whoop. <laughs>